Join over 400,000 people just like you and I who are taking control of their wellness journey with Biome. Get personalized and precise recommendations on how to optimize your health and help you function at peak performance. Based on your results from blood, stool, and now saliva, the Viome Full Body Intelligence Test tells you what foods you should eat and what foods you should avoid and why. They're also the only company in the world to offer custom pre-probiotics and precision supplements which are made to order and only include the ingredients in the precise dosages that your body needs and nothing that it doesn't. Shop now at Viome.com, V-I-O-M-E, dot com forward slash good currency and save fifty dollars on our full body intelligence test or bundle it with code currency 50. when you feel like an imposter that's a sign that you're on the right path and you're playing bigger than you have in the past so i hope that you never lose that feeling Welcome back, everybody, to another episode of Living Good Currency with Tony. And Tobias. I know I say how excited we get for all these guests, and we are. We're honored to have each one of these guests on and bring them to you. But this this one's special. This one I, I, I got giddy for. Really? I want to dive deep into her book and maybe get her back on because I don't think we're going to go over everything. But this is a true, true, true honor. Zoe Chance is on the show. She's a writer, teacher, researcher, and climate philanthropist. Her science-based and life-changing book, and I'm telling you it is, is called Influence is Your Superpower. She has a doctorate from Harvard and teaches the most popular course at Yale School of Management. Her research has been published in top journals and covered in global media, and she speaks on TV and around the world. Before joining academia, Zoe managed a $200 million segment of Barbie, helped with political campaigns, and worked in door-to-door sales. Welcome to the show, Zoe. How are you? I'm great. Really good to meet you, Tony and Tobias. Uh, Beautiful to meet you as well. So, everybody that, you know, that listening, you won't be able to see this, but those who are watching, this is her book, Influence is Your Superpower. No one told me about this book. I went to Barnes & Noble's one day, and like I do for many of the books, I just sort of meditate and just ask for guidance on the book that I'm supposed to read. Yellow is, I think, scientifically proven the first thing that we color we see, if I remember correctly. But it just I didn't know that. Yeah, I mm. think so. And it just popped out at me. And I'm like, oh, and then the way it's cartoonish, you know, but the thing that got me is and make good things happen. So the book is Influence is Your Superpower, the Science of Winning Hearts, Sparking Change and Making Good Things Happen. And I said, well, I like to make good things happen. So, and then I looked on the back and I said, let me see who, you know, just endorsing this author. And I saw just incredible names, including Adam Grant. And I just said, okay, this is mine. And I I started diving into this book, Zoe. And I think I was in just in the first chapter and I called Tobias and everybody. Okay, guys, I got to tell you about the gator, the the (laughs) judge. And it just, it just blew me away. So we're just so grateful to have you on the show. Thank you. I'm so excited to be here and you didn't know when you were reaching out to me that i got your email and i was like oh my god it's a celebrity and he wants me to be on his podcast because i was telling you briefly tony that for so long i don't know how many years but it was a number of years and then this was actually the only web page in fact that i've ever chosen to be my home page when i open up chrome or 
safari or whatever, you you have this opportunity to influence yourself yes. with something to make your life easier or happier or whatever it is that you want. And the webpage that I had chosen was the Good News Network. I had for a long time stopped paying attention to the news because I couldn't handle it. It was bringing yes. me down. And I love the Good News Network because it's still the actual news, but yes. it's the kind of news that I want to hear about. Amazing. So you have deeply influenced mm, me well, to I, the core of my psyche for so long. Well, thank I'll, you. I, well, I thank you. I, I'm, I'm just a mere vehicle, as we all are, mm. to pushing good news. The, the woman that I will introduce you to um, is, is the real celebrity, and that's Jerry Weiss Corbley. She that's founded right. it in 1997. She started. She taught herself HTML coding because she was so sick of the negative news, and she's been running it seven days a week since 1997 with her and like a family member. I came on board when I did what millions of other people do, and I simply just Google good news. I was so tired of the Hillary Trump, Hillary Trump at Me that too. time, and I found good news, and I mm. was like, it was this Web 1.0 looking. You know, it, it's, it's it's it is what it is, but it just I was sick at the time. People who know the podcast know about it, and um, I was looking to do something with Muhammad Ali's daughter and we we're going to talk about good news. And turns out, you know, she's from my same hometown and we just hit it off. So I'm here. We were just here as a vehicle to up propel and do more good. And so I told her and she's giddy as well. So thank you for saying that. I used one of your I felt like I used some of your tactics. Even when reaching out, I put that little influential. I said, you know what? She's probably bombarded. It's LinkedIn, by the way, everyone. That's my that's how I meet so many amazing people. And I didn't know, you know, if you check it or not. But when you wrote me, I just told everyone, guys, guess who wrote me? Oh, my goodness. <laughs> so, I did, too. I did, too. Awesome. Awesome. So yeah, I told my mom. Amazing. Amazing. Because I've been telling people about the Good News Network. And just like you, like all of us who are trying to help good things happen, we're a vehicle. Amazing. Right? Amazing. And, you know, yeah. you went to Harvard. And, and, and as someone who went to Harvard, Har there's a popular class at Harvard um, that um, – Ben Al-Tahar, I think his name, uh, was running and on positivity or something to that effect. He did and a couple others did a, a study and they, and they actually quoted Good News Network. They proved, they scientifically proven that if you listen or read two to three minutes of good news a day, it's scientifically proven to lower your cortisol levels, which reduces inflammation, heart disease and all these other things. So that's our new, that's going to be our Web 2.0 version we're about to go into and announce next year. Um, really about getting people trained that you get 30 minutes of exercise. We all know that and meditation, but now get your two to three minutes of good news in a day. It, it could save your life. So that's let's, amazing. Let's I didn't, I didn't know that. And another, another little plug for the Good News Network is um, for anyone who feels like you might be missing out on the news because there's lots of bad stuff that's going on. The Good News Network still covers the bad stuff that's going on, but it's from the angle of yes. the heroes who step up during come the bad on, times, on, and it's inspirational. On. So you'll still know what's going on, Zoe, but you'll be touched. Moved. Um, I always I've been saying this phrase for the last couple of years that good news isn't just the kitty cat or you know the the cute pet stories that we all love. It's usually it's bad news gone good. So if you want that antagonistic, protagonistic story, you get it in the in good news because it's usually what we 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 love. It's the hero story. Or okay, now if you listen to any of our episodes, we just go and banter, and so we fight for time. So <laughs> I'm just gonna keep going, and <laughs> Tobias is gonna jump in. Oh, this is all you. You made that clear. It's all you, bro. I'm here to support you. 
He's just, I, <laughs> I did tell him offline. I want to hear oh from you God. too, too, no, Bias. No, no. You'll hear you from have, him. You have to hear from yeah, him. Yeah, you have an incredible Selfishly, life story. Thank you, thank Selfishly, <laughs> I got to share this mic with you today. I usually really, I don't know, but, man, but I really want this time. No, we're going we're gonna to go into it. So how I want to go into it for you listening is that, listen, this could be a three-hour podcast, but we can't. We are on a crunch time for one hour so or a little less. So we're going to go through the chapter, just headlines and dive deep a little bit if we can, Zoe. So let's go. So the, the first chapter, and you know, and, and, and why I'm going in the order is because you put this in order. You know, so there's obviously, even though you say in the book, in the, from the very beginning, you can go in multiple different ways. And, and you, by the way, you absolutely can. But because you chose this order, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to respect that. Becoming someone people want to say yes to. Woo. All right, that's, there's so much depth to that. Part of the biggest takeaway from this chapter I want you, if we can get your input on, is you talk about how we had this superpower at one point when we were children, and then through society and time and influence, we tend to lose mm -hmm. it. Can you go over that a little bit? Yeah. Almost all of us struggle with trying to influence other people or trying to be influential. And many of us have mixed feelings because when we think about influence or especially influence strategies or influence tactics, we think of the really super creepy, like used mm. car salesman kind of That's archetype. Right. We don't want to be that. Those of us who want to make good things happen, right? And what we want is to have an influence on the world, ideally a good influence. And honestly, we don't want to have to work so hard that we feel like we're pushing people because we don't want to be pressuring them and have them just acquiescing to us. We ideally want to be in relationships with people who like us and we want to say yes to each other and we have a good idea and we bring these good ideas to each other. And the whole, all of the issues of haggling, negotiations, tit for tat kind of stuff is just not not going on in a healthy relationship, right? And it doesn't mean we can't also have healthy transactional business relationships. But this idea of when we were kids, we had no reluctance to advocate for ourselves, to say exactly what we wanted. And, you know, we're negotiating with our parents over everything that we care about. But then at some point, our parents and our teachers, even though they love us, and they want nothing but good for us. But then we get trained by our parents and teachers to play nice. And ultimately, this means playing small and we're holding ourselves back. So it's as if we're still in class working hard to try to get a good grade from the teacher. But then in real life as an adult, there's no teacher anymore who's out there looking after you and giving you the rewards that you deserve. And we actually have to not just advocate for ourselves, but we have to be advocating for all of the people and all of the ideas that we care about. I mean, that's so, that resonated me so much. When I read this, I went home and I told my wife, I go, I got, we have to change the tactics with my oldest, who's nine and a half, almost 10 next month, because he, we call him, he should be a lawyer. Even though I'm one, I said, I don't know about that, but like, he's a master negotiator. Then he's he a master <laughs> and then i was like is he a manipulator like what is he doing he's he's so quick-witted he makes you think 
And and I felt after reading your this chapter that I was actually part of the I was becoming part of the problem, mm. and so I said you it, felt so that. So this book, that's, you asked me for examples. This is one way of many that it influenced my life and how I changed how I even viewed and actually appreciated his negotiation tactics, mm. and how in that's recognizing amazing. them, you know, so it helped me profusely in the, just the last three months, and I seen a difference with him actually. Mm. Oh, that's said, amazing. Yeah, yeah. Oh, please. As, as parents, our kids are some of the hardest people to influence, right? Anyone who's a parent knows. And one of the things that we can do is we can help them with the idea of helping them become someone people want to say yes to. So I've had these struggles with my daughter also. She's a, she loves negotiating. Mm, and now she's 14 and she's so good at it. She makes everybody feel so good doing yes. things for her. Right. And not it's not just for her. She does a ton of volunteering Amazing. and starting lots of stuff at her school. And people feel really good because they feel appreciated. And um, but there was a very messy period where where I was getting quite annoyed. So I feel mm. that. I think all parents feel that. That's right. Because you want your kid to be confident and learn to take care of themselves. And at the same time, you just feel like, God, can you give me a break? <laughs> <laughs> it's true. It's true. As I was asking for examples on how uh, we understand this chapter, you know, the power of influence, you know, is kind of difficult inside of prison settings to influence people for good. And I believe when this chapter opened, uh, we opened up with love. And once you can come from a deep space of love, and I know that is very powerful in its vibration in any setting, and nothing influences people uh, in my evaluation in life, how love does. So when you said uh, that uh, at the beginning. Well, I, I will say this, said, that your book, Tobias is a walking example of this book. Thank you. Too. If there is a master negotiator of mm -hmm. love to make good things happen, why we're partners, why we're blood brothers and everything else that goes along with it is because he has transferable skills. So when I read this, mm. I feel like he has absolutely mastered this in so many levels. Appreciate you, bro. No, no, it's true, bro. Mm. I mean, he turned an entire system on its head through love. Mm. And he had to negotiate with the, the hardest of hardest in the, worst, in the depths Have, of darkness. And, and the, the beauty Have of this is, though, is because it was my parents. My parents has uh, bestowed that seed in me early inside of my life. So that's what I drew off of to my parents' credit. So when you're saying these things, it just makes perfect sense to me. Tobias, have you told this story many, many times already in the podcast of how you changed the system? Because I'm so intrigued and your background it sounds just really inspiring and heartbreaking at the same time. But if you tell the story in every podcast episode, your listeners have heard it a lot. But, uh, and I could one, ask you later, but if not, could oh, we no, hear? In one version or another, but the chapter two uh, will be my uh, platform. So I'm going to tell you, in the end, okay. if he asks you about chapter two, then I'm going to pin a little <laughs> okay. bit in. So that's the first time we'll do it like that. I got you. Okay. Yeah. All right, great. And you talked about love and the end of the first chapter is just laying it out that this book is a love story. Yeah, that's right. There you go. So just so I can quickly move on, there's so many things I want to talk to you about. But in the book, uh, for all those listening, you, there's uh, 10 misconceptions of which she was been, Zoe has been describing that you talk about misconceptions and negotiations and why we don't like to do it. Uh, the one that resonated, and there's all, they all resonate. They all made sense. 
Um, but the last one, number 10, you don't deserve to have power or money or love or whatever you secretly wish for. Now, I, I, I suffered from that a long time, and I think um, many of us do. And so I really, I, and that holds us back, that part. I think number 10 really, I don't know if it, 10 was, I don't know the order in which you put these in, but that one really hit me. That was the deepest one yeah. that um, I, what I understand from people who've spent a lot of time meditating is that we all come to realize that, that we, that we all harbor those feelings mm. and many of us cover them up. Mm. But there's this, this deep feeling of, of unworthiness that um, we don't talk about a lot. And this is largely, it's a combination business self-help book, but it's not the kind of topic that you get mm, right. in a typical business book. But I, I get to teach at Yale and I teach people around the world and executives. And actually Tobias last week, I was at um, teaching some of this stuff at a retreat for federal judges yes. and attorneys oh, that plead thank you. Thank you. things like sentence reductions to federal judges. And I was talking to the chief, chief judge, his last name is Underhill in Connecticut afterward and the the love and the empathy because I, I don't know anything personally about the justice system right but his love and his empathy were so great that he and I were both crying That's right. and we were talking about the inhumanity of keeping people trapped in cages and it's I it completely shifted how I imagine people like, federal judges making these mm. sentencing decisions. And he felt like he, you know, he doesn't have the power to make laws. However, human beings as judges have the power to be a little generous, a little yes, yes, extra empathetic. Yes, yes, like yes. we're not going to be as fair as something like an AI, mm. but if we're going to err in our judgment, we can err on one side rather than the other. And he said after every, and I actually heard from other people that when he's the judge after every trial is over, he goes and shakes the hand of the defendant, even if this is someone he's just sentenced to decades mm -hmm. in prison. Mm -hmm. And he was telling me that he's gotten letters from some of those people telling them that he's the first person who ever yes. in their life respected them yes. and showed respect yes. for them. Yes, yes, yes. And just that we can all like, if, if somebody in a situation like, sending someone to prison for decades mm -hmm. or for life can be feeling love and expressing respect and trying to show as much empathy as possible. We all can, we can do so much. And I, I look forward to hearing what um, your experience uh, to, was. To your point, uh, uh, to your point and to uh, the temp, I don't deserve. And you know, the sentence is designed and you don't have to be a person convicted. You know, your parents could have convicted you. You know, it's going to be something inside in your life that you are ashamed of. Shame is the great incarcerator. So that what allows us to think, I don't deserve love. I don't deserve physical freedom. I don't deserve a success inside of my life. So yeah, you have to go inside of yourself. So that was the main thing inside of my journey. One time in my life when I was convicted, the system is designed to hold you to that one point in your life so I decided I seen something in the guards I seen something in the staff that everyone is incarcerated by something that calls in the field they don't deserve to be loved they don't deserve to be connected they don't deserve to be more than that worst moment 
So to start off how my journey went, I initiated the path of, uh, I guess, channeling all the love in myself through spiritual and cultural means and challenging that and allowing other people to know that I can recognize you. So this is what this judge in Connecticut was showing someone. I sentenced you to a long sentence, but I'm recognizing your humanity. You have the potential. You have the capacity. So then someone can take and make the best use of that time. And that's really what my story was about. So, uh, mm. yes. so just thank you. Powerful. Thank you. Amazing. So chapter two, um, influence doesn't work the way you think. Mm. Now, this is the one that I got giddy and I had to tell everybody after reading chapter two, because it made me be able to think back in my time, back in what some of the decisions we're currently making and figure out where this, this is the gator and the judge and so can you tell our audience what what you mean by influence doesn't work the way you think and uh, the gator and the judge? Sure thing. This is the foundational framework of behavioral economics, which is the mm. research discipline I come from. It, it's really psychology. We just call it economics because it makes us sound smarter. Mm. Um, but the idea is that there are these two systems that work together in collaboration or conflict that determine all of our decisions and all of our behavior. And then what I'm doing in this book and the work that I do is I bring this into the area of interpersonal influence. Mm -hmm. So these two systems that I use the analogy of the gator and the judge are one of them. It, the gator is the far more powerful one and it's quick primal, intuitive, automatic, emotional decisions are here. Anything that through practice becomes habitual. So this is our gut reactions, snap judgments, and they take almost no effort and happen almost unconsciously. You cannot stop this process from happening. It's happening all the time. And the other piece is the conscious part that I use the analogy of a judge. It was embarrassing to be teaching this to the judges. Mm. <laughs> And I use the analogy of a human judge because it tries to be rational and objective and it painstakingly makes decisions, weighing evidence, pro and con, focused on one case at a time. And like a human judge, it's biased mm. and it's biased largely by the preferences and emotions and habits of the gator piece. We only notice, though, typically the judge mode. So we notice what we're consciously thinking about. And then when we're trying to make good things happen because we're respectful and many times we like and respect the people we're trying to influence, they're smart, right? So actually that biases us toward even more going over to the judge side where we're presenting our best case, the facts, the rat reason, mm -hmm. the logic, the information, the data. But we didn't even consider how the gut reactions, emotional decisions, snap judgments, all of those are more powerful and they happen first. So the gator is the gatekeeper to the judge. And this is what I talk about in a lot of the rest of the chapters is, mm -hmm. okay, so what can we do with that? That's right. Mm -hmm. Beautiful. I mean, it's such a great way to um, imagine, but, but it, but, <laughs> but some of the stuff that made you get, you made me go, dang, this is so insightful, is that you say, um, first of all, you say the judge cannot multitask. And I find that very, that's, that's a profound statement. And then I started thinking about it, how true that is. 
But then you say it's hard to believe that most of your, most if not all, you know, most of your daily life is driven by automatic, non-conscious mental process, mm. and, and it's al- and it's almost impossible to avoid. Like, in other words, we don't want to believe that the vast majority of everything we are doing is is, is the gator. Mm. We want to think right. we live in the judge, but you're mm. telling me, you're telling all of us, sorry. You're driven, and then you go into proving it, and that's why you say understanding, predicting, or influencing other people's behavior should start with their gator snap judgment, and then you said always. Always, right. A huge, probably even dominant portion of what the judge part does is not reason, but it's rationalizing. Yes, Mm. So we have great powers of reason and we use them to find all of the best reasons to do whatever it is that we want <laughs> or whatever it is that we've always been doing or whatever it is that our our gut says is the right path. And so when we're trying to influence someone, they actually need to want to persuade themselves mm. before they get to the facts. And then we give them the facts that they will then use to persuade themselves of what it is they already wanted to believe. Mm-hmm. And so that, so it's actually in the books, 95% of our decisions are, 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 you know, come from the gator. That's just... and, and Probably. It, it, no, but just... I, I caveat there, like, it, it can't be quantified. Exactly. But that's what researchers who study unconscious exactly. processes estimate. You could, have said, you could have said 75, much. and I'd, I'd be like, whoa, that's way too right. much. When over the mind and the behavior will follow. Yeah. That's what we normally think. Yeah, and she on. said, this seems obvious, but it's completely off target. Come on. But understandably mistaken. So let's go into something that's so prevalent, obviously speaking with Tobias here, about, and then you go into the parole, um, the Israeli courts and the research that was done by, you know, the the parole, parole hearing. Mm-hmm. These are people who are using their judge minds, mm-hmm. taking the stats and all the things. And this is a walking true behavior. And I want him to share the story of how mm-hmm. you got out, because I think that's a, a perfect example, that, you know, maybe in the next version of this book. But in this, can you explain really quickly the, this research about the timing of the day and how that happened to change the, the, the outcomes? This is a study that was done looking at parole decisions. It was 1,100 parole decisions by parole boards in Israel. And now this is a very dramatic effect, and there were other things that were going on, but even when researchers re-looked at it, the effect is still there. It's probably a little bit less dramatic um, than what was initially found. But they shouldn't have found any pattern at all. And what they found was when they looked at time of day and the parole decisions that at the beginning of the day, a prisoner who was coming up for parole would have about a two thirds chance of getting to go home. And then during that, during the day, that number would decline to about zero. There's a spike up to about two thirds again, another decline to zero, a second spike and another decline to zero. And when I ask people, I shared the findings and say, so what's your guess? What would you predict the spikes? Most people can predict that all that it is, is they got hungry. They Mm. needed lunch. They needed a break because we can all relate to how difficult and taxing it is to be making a series of 
say, difficult decisions, like maybe you're interviewing people or going through resumes, or even if you're just using your brain to do something hard, like sit through a class, your brain just gets really tired. Mm -hmm. And as you're just using up those conscious resources that the judge has, all of us go toward Gator because Gator takes almost no effort. Mm -hmm. And Gators, the reason I've chosen this animal for the analogy is that they are probably the most efficient animal on earth. And what that looks like is being incredibly lazy. Mm. Alligators have a brain the size of a walnut body that weighs up to a thousand pounds and they can go up to three years without eating anything at all. So what that means is although they're constantly scanning for opportunities and threats, the way they react to almost all of everything is nothing. (laughs) And so they're taking the easy path. So these judges, even though presumably they are trying their absolute best to make good, rational, reasonable decisions, they end up when they don't have the mental resources making the easy decision, which is what we would all do. By the way, studies, other studies of unconscious biases and things in judges find that if anything, they might be a little better than the rest of us. They're not worse, at least. But these judges just say, okay, listen, here's somebody who there was a reason that they went to prison in the first place. So safe thing is just send them back to prison. That's the gator talking. Discover how your gut biome, oral microbiome, and cellular health impact how you feel, how you age, and your overall health with full body intelligence. The most advanced at-home health test available. Simply collect your blood, stool, and saliva samples. Send them to BioLab and within two to three weeks receive your science-backed personalized health scores and food and supplication requirements. Use code CURRENCY50 to get $50 off of your full body intelligent test or bundle. Shop now at Viome.com slash good currency. In our limited amount of time, but can you explain yeah, yeah, yeah. your situation to Zoe in the, uh, in the audience? Zoe, I was blessed uh, to be part of a team of people who uh, who petitioned the governor, uh, Governor Brown of California, to give second chances to life without the possibility of parole uh, youth who has done 20 to 30 years inside of the prison system. Uh, I became uh, the keynote uh, speaker. But just because you get a commutation doesn't mean that you still don't go to the uh, parole board. And this is your point right here. I was commuted due to being found not uh, guilty of the crimes themselves. But when you go to the parole board, you have to present yourself under the conviction. Thus my dilemma. So get that. When I went to and got my commutation and I spoke my truth, I was commuted because I was not in the house. I did not participate in the harming of the two people that was harmed. But they're, they work in a silo. The board just knows you're coming to the board. We don't care how you got here. And you're going to represent as if you've done the crime. So with that being said, to your point, and this was the original point that you made in the podcast, if I was seeking to touch the mind of the judge or the commissioner, and then I probably wouldn't be sitting here talking. It was going beneath that into her heart. And uh, one thing, I was crying from the first part to the last part. The tears was coming from that for 30 years, I prayed to be here. 
And every second of my life was being mindful, cultivating love in my consciousness, in my behavior, and the people around me. And it got me to this point. Uh, Commissioner Montez, I'm going to say her name because I love her and she's a part of my story. She was the most formidable judge or commissioner in California. Normally, only one out of five people she see uh, will be uh, sentenced. Uh, to uh, be found suitable, go home. So through a seven-hour, six- to seven-hour proceeding, which is the longest in California, uh, me and her spoke, and I'm in, in chains, I'm sitting one way with a crook in my neck, and uh, for six hours I pleaded to her heart and her assistant's heart and to the DA's heart, explaining my path, my journey, uh, the, the work that I've placed on myself, the servitude to other people, the thousands of people who have been affected, but I was speaking to the heart. So when it came down to her deliberation, this is the first time she did this in 30 years. She denied me suitability. She denied me. No, you're the worst of the worst still. I believe you're a con man and somehow you have mesmerized me. Literally, these are her words. It's, it's in my transcripts. A CEO said she always takes a moment and read whatever a person leaves and I type my life story from the first day I was arrested to the day that I met her that day speaking of empathy speaking of men speaking of of understanding although I've never physically taken a life or harmed a person but I can empathize with not only the family that was harmed the community that was harmed the earth that holds the imprint of violence upon and she said it was the first time in her career that she changed her mind and she retired. And this is uh, Montez. You can look it up. So when you were saying wow. this well, Hold on, why did she I retire? Got, I got tears and then I got chills. <laughs> why did she retire? Oh, you tell us. Well, she retired because she could no longer trust yes. herself after him. So after this experience, she ended up. So, so when what? Tony is calling me these things, though, these podcasts are not like enough time for me to actually go on to how he says transferable skills and we can bring this back into society. Tony lives by this book. He's got in our company as a CEO by this book right here. So today is a very special day for us. And thank you for even having this point in your life that allows me to bring voice and a living embodiment of what you're teaching. It works not only for the judges, but those of us who have been judged and we can all take what you're saying. It's a bridge that we believe that uh, ends up with that good news that we're speaking of. Wow. <laughs> wow. Yeah. That, that's, just, that's just incredible. I, mm. I got tears. I got chills. Um, I hope we get to have another of these conversations. <laughs> yes, we, we're going to need, we're going to need it. I knew we would. You say, <laughs> uh, I'm going to have to skip through this because we're going to have to get back. And, and if we can find the time, I think the audience would love another podcast to just kind of deep dive into more. But you said the gator and the judge are responsible for what you're thinking consciously or not and what you're doing but only the gator is responsible for how you're feeling. That's powerful because Tobias often says, which, you know, something resonates with our good currency concept is, you know, you could, you know, there's the saying that people say, if you know better, you do better. Mm. And Tobias says, yeah, somewhat true, but a lot of mm. people know not to not, know things that they still do. It's mm -hmm. when you feel mm. better, you do better. Yes. Mm. I thought that was yeah. apropos, I love that. apropos to what you were saying there. Yes. I love that. And, and to Tobias, something that, that just kept coming into my heart when I was hearing how you, how you pled your case and mm -hmm. wrote your story and had empathy despite being so 
the victim of a gross miscarriage of justice. Mm. Oh, it sounds really jargony. You were, you were so hurt by the system mm. and, and yet you, you had to advocate so powerfully for yourself and it hurts my heart mm. that people have to do that. Uh, yes. And so when I'm going out and teaching about influence to all of these groups, I teach a lot of groups of leaders and executives around the world. And one of the messages that I'm most passionate about is that although we all need to understand if we have the privilege, right, to be having these conversations, we need yes. to understand as much as we can about how to do a good job of asking and yes. advocating. Yes. And we need to teach that to our, you know, teach it to our kids, teach it to our people, and yet, for everyone in any leadership situation, it's so important not to have to make other people have to advocate gracefully for themselves, mm. not even to have to ask, mm. because asking is so unevenly distributed. And it's people who already have privilege or feel powerful or feel less of that shame mm. that we were talking about, who can and do advocate for themselves. But that's it just leaves the world with more inequality rather than less if we reinforce this this asking requirement that the world has. So we need to get rid of it at the same time as yes. doing it better and teaching it to other people as long as that system exists. Well, then we can, on that note, let's jump to, um, on that note of asking, you have a whole chapter on women and you show some stats that it's not necessary. Yes, the stats are there that the men get paid more than women, but I guess through some studies and just through some research, it found that women just aren't asking as much mm -hmm. as well. Is that, is that, is that, is, is that in line with what you were just talking about as just in general as a, as a part of that chapter? Yeah, this is um, when we're talking about asking their big gaps, their race gaps, socioeconomics gaps, gender gaps, probably every other kind of privilege gap too. It's just not all of those studies have been done and it's, just exactly what we were talking about, that people who feel more powerful or privileged are less shy mm -hmm. about asking. Sweet. And people who feel less powerful or privileged are, are more ashamed or reluctant or think they shouldn't do it. And so in a lot of cases, this explains mm -hmm. a gender gap. There also, though, on the gender topic is a very specific social norm that says women should be warm. Mm and communal and caretakers. And when women are perceived as being not warm, we are more likely to get backlash mm. than you two. So if I'm not nice, I'm going to be hated. Yeah. And if you two are not nice, oh, it kind of sucks, but you could still be respected and people can still appreciate you. and like, oh, he's, you know, grouchy or whatever that is. So, so as men, you have a little more leeway than I do as a woman. However, for all of us, regardless of our gender, we do better when we're generally warm, unless there's a situation where we yes. really want to draw a line. Yes. And it's not that we want everybody to like us all the time. That's not our job. Mm. But in general, when we want to get along with people, we should all follow the same advice. Right. So for women, women tend to get asked more often ask less often and also be less comfortable saying no. And so it leaves women in particular depleted, taking on all these extra tasks, stressed out. And it's partly because in the feminist revolution of my mom's generation, mm. 
God bless my mom and bless all my, of um, her sisters. Where we ended up is with moms like my mom and me teaching our daughters to try to be self-reliant. Mm -hmm. And this is the same as working class parents teaching their kids to be self-reliant rather than middle-class parents teaching their kids to do more asking and advocating and teaching them that privilege is in part negotiated mm. and negotiable. I mean, it's brilliantly said, and it goes back to being a kid. You, you mentioned, for example, as a kid, you're, you know, <laughs> as evidenced by my two boys, they are not afraid. It's almost like, aren't you ashamed to ask me again? You just got something earlier today. Forget a week ago, a month ago. Like, how are you not ashamed? Mm. And and then I, that's when I that's part of the tactic I realized. Stop talking about that like that because mm. that's part of what you talk about in the book, which is, I, I think anybody but women specifically but you know anybody all of us is that you, you know especially if you're trying to make good things happen you feel like well i already asked for that favor or i already asked for that so i shouldn't ask again mm -hmm. and she and and you go into how that's we losing that art back in the kid you don't think you're you as a kid you don't think oh well mom's gonna dad's gonna you know get rid of me you know <laughs> so you know that i just in line with what you were saying and Oh, Zoe, it's something that you said, and allow me to give you the balance. When I understood who Governor Brown was from studying Governor Brown, Honorable Governor Brown, I didn't look at him as the CEO of California or the president of California. I looked at him as a spiritual head because I understood that his spiritual path was one of a Jesuit, and my name is Tobias at birth, which is one of the saints of his order. And so that's when I was bold. I, I commanded on the strength of my path. And I am of the path of Tobias, which is the path of healing, one who walks with Raphael, the angel of healing. Uh, and then I showed him for 30 years, I'm living up to this legacy. That's where the boldness came in, which is looking him straight in the eye, although I've never seen him personally, but when he read it, he thanked me as his brother. So I thought I was gonna go to the board and do the same thing. So it created a different skill set in me. That yes, as a person of conviction, okay, maybe I have never, I have not never killed a person, harmed a person, robbed a person, but I was with hundreds of thousands of men who did. So I put myself in the mind and the mentality of these men when I was in that room and I was speaking for them. And so that's where it gave me in one position, understanding this, the, the strength of spirituality, that all spiritual beings are one. We are beings of light and truth and purpose. And regardless to where I'm at in circumstances and situations, you're my brother. And there's a certain spiritual code that all brothers and sisters of light have to live by. And he honored me with that. But still, I had to go to the board. So when I went to the board, that's where the other side of this ugly puzzle begins that you have to go with bowed head and teary eyes and you have to plead as a slave, 13th Amendment, too. Mm. But what it did, it greatened my capacity to be an ambassador for those who, which are a majority of the people who have committed one kind of crime or another because crimes was placed upon them even before they got there, which is another story. But just to give you thank you for your heartfelt words concerning uh, what I explained to you, but there's a paradox, there's a dichotomy to that story is that I was bold in one minute and I understood how to shift and we have to have the capacity to shift to influence people. I can't influence all people one way, 
Sometime it will be with bowed heads and teary eyes. Man, I'm sincere in both of them because if I'm not one speaking for myself, I'm speaking for humanity and the people who normally don't get the chances that I get to speak. So I just wanted right. to share that with you. That's incredible. And the so what you're doing in both cases is connecting with those people, yes. but you understood that it needed to happen in very different ways. Mm. And the level of emotional intelligence and communication mm. skills that you need to have to do something Thank like you. that Thank is you. just so rare that we can't expect that of anybody. No. And it's, no. it's a tremendous gift. And it's, and I'm sure it wasn't just, you haven't lived like this your whole entire life and it's taken thought and practice and maybe study. Um, and, and just, just even to not get angry mm. in a situation like this and not show anger mm. if you feel it, that mm. alone is a high enough bar that most of us mm. couldn't get there. Yeah. Mm. So there's yeah. so much. I'm going to start rattling things off just because I want to get your quick fire interpretation. But today is November 1st, even though mm. obviously anybody listening to this, it could be in November when we hopefully release this, or it could be two years, three years from now when they listen to it, but November. Yes, November. <laughs> Tony loves I, I didn't take it. I'm like, wow, November. We were supposed to have, why this, fate had this podcast start November. Mm, November. Tell us about November. I just got an email this morning from a friend who had done the Facebook challenge with me a few years ago when I invited uh, compadres to come along and she's doing November again. November is just a practice. You can do it for any amount of time that you want in any month that you want. You could do it for one hour, one day, or try it for an entire month where you shift your defaults to responding to requests and invitations to being no mm. instead of yes. It doesn't mean that you can't ever say yes to something. And it doesn't mean that you're alienating people or being a jerk. It's just shifting your mindset so that you have the idea, which many of us do because we get over-enthusiastic, over-committed, we're super nice, we're really excited about a lot of stuff to just say, I'm going to practice boundaries, I'm going to practice yes. taking care of myself, what I have going on, and I'm just going to practice saying no. Mm. And a lot of people have found this transformational they didn't realize how much they were people pleasing yes. until they started practicing saying no so it's uh, fun to hear uh, about it Zoe, I'm, I'm gonna get on i know our time is reaching uh somebody gave me a cd you know inside of prison we listened to a lot of music uh, so I wasn't a music person. Somebody said, listen to the CD. It was Beyonce's uh just like 10 to 15 years ago and it was a song that basically said uh when I say no, you act, you act like I never said yes. And I listened to that song like a thousand mm. times, literally. like a th I'm like, wow, I must just start telling people. No, this is like 15 years ago in prison because, you know, I'm a giver and I want you to like me. I want you to listen. I'm trying to call to culture and God's path. So I just start telling people no just to see how they will respond to no. And so how did it, go? Uh, oh, uh, it went well. I learned a lot about myself that I don't like telling people. No, I'm scared. I was scared of conflict, although I've been dealing with conflict my long, my whole life. I was scared of the criticism. Like, what you mean, no? Like, you think I'm obliged to tell you yes every time you ask me something? <laughs> so uh, those relationships, and it, it just gave me a different opportunity to uh, deepen uh, the relationships, cut away some relationships. Uh, so uh, still to today, 
uh, Tony went on a no spree in October. It wasn't even November. I did. <laughs> he did. I was just he no there. No, I'm holding to it. No, and but each of the no's turned out to be yeses in other ways. I mean, so I'm not going to hold it. Yeah, I'm not going to mention the story on what well, we said no to a, a, a big opportunity. A lot of. A lot of money opportunity, and as a CEO and someone that's trying to put this team together, I just didn't feel it. And I said, I have to have the ability to say no and even tell my team, if y'all want to do this and do it, mm-hmm. I'm saying no. And I felt, I know I was empowered by reading you your were. book. No, you've been living your life and our lives by the book, brother. But, <laughs> but how have our lives and professional change? But that mo- that moment, brother, we're here. We're here, Resolving. and Chance. so many things have happened. It wasn't no just to say no. I, no. I, it wasn't a November mm. challenge. It was just in general taking the philosophy of what you've been preaching in the book, and knowing that my mm. Gator and both my Judge were they just didn't feel aligned. Mm. And so, despite what it looked like on the outside surface, and I didn't have at the time an answer, like okay, mm. no now, no to this, but what yes to what. Mm-hmm. And I was asking meditation, where's the yes? I need, a, I need the yes. I need something. And it came, and it came in a beautiful form. Um, so had we said yes, b- the beauty that we're about to put in the world wouldn't be in front of us at, at, as the, what we're putting. So I thank you for That's that. Amazing. You asked me to give you an example. Con- congratulations. And can I just ask, what was the reaction when you said no? Thank you for asking that. They were so polite. They said how much they believe in us mm-hmm. and what they see in us that even though we're saying no, they're available and will still be available whenever we need to call upon them. That's right. And as a matter of fact, their boss, like yes. their main, came to us mm-hmm. and said, thank whoever you guys are, yeah. I'm one in. I'm flying mm-hmm. into town this month. Yes. And despite what they said, I want in. Yes. Anyway, so yeah. <laughs> that's that's amazing. The, the best of both and, worlds. And also that that's a beautiful illustration of – this distinction that we don't think about that often between saying no to the thing and saying no to the person. And clearly they felt that you were saying no to the particular idea, but not saying no to to them. So you weren't saying no to the relationship. And I'll credit my, our, our partner, Michael, I handed that communication part off too, because I didn't want to get emotional about it. And he handled it with beautiful, you know, words. And, and yes, it was, it was no to the thing, not no to them. Exactly. Right. So, can you give us, there's just to wrap it up, um, moments of truth. <laughs> what is a moment of truth? Just so that people understand when you talk about the moments of truth. A moment of truth is the time or place situation in which another person is likely to be open to influence. Okay. So it's really timing, but it, it's the whole context. Yes. Perfect. And I say that because in the book, you give a great example of Sunny in the Philippines. Was my second favorite. No, no, so you said, my favorite was a print ad for Durex condoms that ran during the month of June. Very simple. Just a few words on a lavender background. Quote, to all those who use our competitors' products, happy Father's Day. Oh, my God. <laughs> I love that brilliant. ad. It's just brilliant. 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 Okay. And the last, before I want to talk about... Um, the last, last story, uh, just quickly about framing. Can you just give us an idea of, of framing um, the influence? Sure. A frame is either a label or a perspective. That's why talking about it gets messy sometimes. And what you're doing when you choose this label is you can determine the perspective and just a very palpable one that's going on in the context of world events at the moment is 
between Ukraine and Russia, mm. where I believe the team in Ukraine have done one of the best jobs of influence and persuasion in world history. That's right. One of the reasons they've been able to be so successful is they've created this frame that is not just that Russia has declared war, is waging war against Ukraine, but Russia is waging war against Europe. And beyond that, Russia is waging war against democracy. So all of these countries in Europe are coming on board and then even places like the United States, we've taken this on where we identify with Ukraine in a way that we haven't identified with other countries like Syria that Russia has invaded. That's right. Amazingly brilliant. So guys, anybody listen, you have to just buy this book. You have to dive deep into it. Okay, so the Bella Bess, right? Bella Bess, your husband. Mm. I love, I mean, the way you ended the book, I was like Aww. so excited that it ended up, he ended Aww. up becoming your husband. But <laughs> his you. story is, again, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a real life example for those who are listening. Her husband, um, through a series of events through in Tunisia and the Arab Spring and the uprising, hard as an American to believe that there had never been a live telecast of debates, of the presidential debates in the history of the, like that region. And through sheer will and, I'm sure, influence, as you influence. talk about, um, was able to pull off the first ever televised presidential debates and seen by the vast majority of both Tunisia and the Middle East. And I just, I just wanted to give a shout-out to him hey. and you working together, I'm sure, um, as a story that I, you know, I wanted to go deeper into, but I know we're running out of time. But Thank you. It, w it was all him. Um, and uh, yeah, I think uh, seven million people in Tunisia saw it, and we don't know how many throughout the throughout the region. But um, this, he used all the influence strategies that we talked about in the book, and the debate ended up determining the course of the election. That's right. So someone different got is currently president of Tunisia than if Belobes had not raised the funds and planned the debates and uh, executed them in this massive partnership. However. I, my opinion is the other guy would have been worse and more scary, but the guy who's president of Tunisia is pretty freaking scary. Mm. So it's not like you do all of these things and try mm. to make good things happen. And then everybody's happy, happy, joy, mm. joy. The world is fine. We just, what we continue to do our best and democracy is messy. Well, you say that, and this is a good way to end the podcast is that you, you talk about in the book and I had it quoted. I just don't have it in front of me, but it's, you know, when you want to make good things happen, and we have this philosophy in good currency, which is your purpose in life is to do good for yourself and others and align it with your passions that are your personal, professional, and spiritual passions. And you, we aren't, this world has never been utopia. It never will be utopia, but it's about what can you do today to make a difference and make things happen. And so whether your husband, the guy was less, less good or whatever it is, the fact that he had the intention to do something good, follow through with action. We always say, leave the results up to fate. That's it's right. not your, it's not that's your, right. ju it's that's not your right. job. That's right. And so he, that's why you. I loved it. And I'd be honored by the way, to have him on the podcast. So we can talk in depth on that. Is there a key takeaway, something that you would like to leave our audience with until we meet again? What I would like to leave the audience with, I think is just this idea that when you feel like an imposter, that's a sign that you're on the right path 
and you're playing bigger than you have in the past. So wow. I hope that you never lose that feeling. Oh my goodness. Yeah, we're gonna go ahead and close. This is Mr. Philly Imposter. Oh my goodness. Yeah, we have the fear so? of failure, the fear yeah. of success, oh, the fear of this is beautiful. Zoe Chance, thank you so much mm-hmm. for all you listening. Please you can go to Zoe Chance at Z O E C H A N C E dot com. Is that correct? Yep. And if you end up getting the book, you can find it at a library. You don't need to buy it. But if you do, you're also mm. supporting people working on the climate crisis. I'm giving half of yes. my profits to 350.org and other climate organizations. Zoe, we appreciate you. We thank you so much for your time. And hopefully we can just, it's just the first of many conversations. And we're here to support and uplift you and everything you guys do. Likewise, I'm excited to share your podcast and all of your other work with people. It's mm-hmm. I feel blessed thank to meet you and have this thank conversation. You. Thank you Thank so you, Tony, much. and thank you, Tobias. Thank you, guys. Take care. Don't forget to check out new episodes every Monday. We're super excited about this. I'm Zoe Chance. I'm Tony Samadani. I'm Tobias Tubbs. And we are Living Living Good Good Currency.